This is Season 3, Episode 5 of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game. Doesn't matter if you're a game master or player, you'll find advice, ideas, and some strong opinions. Our episode tonight is Flavoring Magic and Special Items, or Magic Missile Can Be More. Everyone, welcome again to Mastering the RPG. Like I said, a tabletop RPG podcast um, where you'll get advice, ideas, cool stuff found, all sorts of good stuff. I'm Carl with my co-hosts, Eric and James. You can find information about the show at masteringtherpg.com. You can send us email, feedback, ask us questions at gamemaster at masteringtherpg.com. And uh, it's good to be back on the mics with everybody Feels like it's uh, it's like two weeks before between times when we talk. It's amazingly enough. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. so, so how's everybody been? What's uh, what's been going on? I mean, we're recording today on Halloween. Um, didn't do a Halloween um, game this year. Special? Yeah, didn't didn't <laughs> oh, do that. Okay. No, we didn't didn't do that. Nor did I uh, join in with any of the online conventions that allowed for. Um, kind of the Halloween themed uh, stuff, so I didn't do that this year. I feel bad about it, but just too much, too much in my world going on to do that. But we did give out like three hundred dollars worth of candy, so we did do that. But uh, we didn't, we didn't get a chance to do running games. So what about what about you guys, Eric? What what have you been up to? Uh, you know, just uh, playing games. Um, been taking a lot of notes now for my uh, Savage World Cyberpunk conversion. 2077, um, you know, did a lot of quote unquote research by playing the video game and watching the anime. So, <laughs> uh, just dealing with the reset. net running, which is which is the which is the big kind of that that's the big hurdle, right? I mean, we've talked a lot about uh, hacking and net running in cyberpunk worlds um, and things that we like to change. Me and Carl, so um, that's been the big hurdle. But I, I pretty much have it narrowed down at this point. So, just going to start writing soon. Good, cool, very cool, very nice. Uh, I'm in mini boss hell at the moment. I I don't know what's going on with my games. Uh, our games are coming to the end. My annual kind of campaign, so that's a bit, bit fun. So we have this strange thing in Australia next week where everyone gets a day off so that we can watch a horse race. So um, I'm spending that time kind of prepping. But this week has just been all about mini bosses. Um, that kind of last adversary, the last lieutenant, with about a month to go left in a campaign. So it's been been a bit interesting. I've got kind of groups all over the place having big, large, multifaceted boss fights, um, which has had its own little level of experience. Killed a kid yesterday on Halloween, which was kind of a bit fun. That's right. They resurrected <laughs> him. Everything was okay. <laughs> had to talk another kid off the cliff. I had a barbarian 14-year-old that just refused to back down when the rest of the group had fled, um, which is kind of fun, playing uh, Call of the Netherdeep on that one, and they're fighting this massive tentacled undersea creature, and... Um, Vanarak the Barbarian said, you'll never take me alive. And the rest of the group went, we can't kill this thing. We're all running away. And they just slowly ran away from this 14-year-old kid. And, I, you know, for the first time, I had to sit down and say, hey, dude, um, you know, we might have to roll up a new character for you, which is a bit interesting. He was not having a bar of it. He was going to go out in a heroic uh, heroic last flat, the last stand. In the end, he, he chose not to. Have you ever had one of those where you, you just go, hang on a minute, this one person's not going to make it? Oh yeah, lot, lots of times where there there always is the one person who wants to make the heroic stand and be the one to 
the, the stop the tide of evil while everyone else escapes and they give themselves for the common good or the greater good and yep roll up new character so yeah yeah, yeah. sometimes it's you know i've seen it happen a lot sometimes it's those that person like genuinely just wants to play new characters so they're like okay here's a good narrative time for me to do that you talk with your gm other times it is true like sometimes there are times where your your character you know you're like if i'm really role playing and being honest they would not leave at this point or they would stay behind to like give the other people uh, a chance to escape or for whatever it is or their vengeance is too strong you know their their desire for vengeance or their desire for hatred for this type of monster so i've seen it a lot and you know sometimes it does better than other times but i do think that uh, when it does happen that it should be you know i feel like the, the other people in the party should get like inspired in some way or <laughs> there should be like a you know there were some some settings have mechanics for that i think it was is it riffs in Savage World Riffs? There's like a mechanic where you you, the, you you could just go out in a blaze of glory and like, you know, when yeah. you're dying, you can just choose to like go out and just basically kill your character, but you do this massive damage to the monster or something. So those are always you, fun moments when stuff like that. You happens. give your friends plus one on something, is that right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> something like that. Or yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think uh, there's a setting in Savage Worlds where you get a set of bennies that you have to spend. Like at the last, yeah, your last stand, and at the end, you know, you are successful, but you're dead um, at the end. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But you're successful in whatever you were trying to accomplish, uh, even if it was super difficult. So yeah, there's definitely uh, probably a lot of games Ways that have that kind it. of mechanic around well, that. So me and the uh, fellow kids managed to talk uh, Vanarak down off the cliff, so he swam <laughs> swam for his life, which was very kind of nice. So. so uh, <laughs> I had to struggle with that. You know, it's okay. But anyway, five more weeks left of uh, of school games, so that's all very exciting. We're building building to the crescendos and doing all big boss battles and big massive save the world kind of kind of epic epic proportion stuff for the end of the year, which is which is a bit of fun. Very cool. Uh, but no Halloween I had a Halloween game last night with, with um with one of my kids' groups, but it's you're right, I haven't done a Halloween at a convention this year, which is I don't know. It's a bit lazy of me maybe. <laughs> and I have hey, my I favorite didn't even one. I just treat this run, year, so. so. All right. Okay. Well, cool. Excellent. Um, so, let's go ahead, and uh, we don't have any cool stuff today or email to talk about. So let's get right to the main topic. So the main topic is all about flavoring magic or special items or we, we had we struggled with the title, right? <laughs> special abilities. Special abilities. Yeah, I mean, and so I think it's important that I ask the question of the panel, what do you mean by <laughs> flavoring um, so that everybody knows where we're coming from? And this is this topic think, is the least amount I know of uh, <laughs> when I throw in my two cents worth. It probably will only be worth two cents. But so, Eric, what, when we talk about flavoring, what, what do you think about, what does that mean to you? I, well, I think the important thing here, and we probably should have used this word instead, is reflavoring, right? Because in Savage Worlds, it's often flavoring or trappings. But in, in most other games, it's about reflavoring. Um, so I think that's that's what we're really kind of talking about this time is is reflavoring, and that is, you know, because in so many games, a lot of spells, a lot of special abilities, a lot of things have a preset flavor to them, right? Um, and they're usually kind of not generic, but these preset archetypes of flavor that we understand, right? 
Um, so we're talking about reflaving. It's when you come up with a unique concept for your character and kind of actualizing that by changing the name and, you know, the descriptive way powers, spells, abilities work. Um, and I think that, like, you know, like we've talked about in Savage Worlds, this is a very easy thing to do because it is specifically, this is for magic, it's specifically set up to be kind of customized. By design, it's your, for about flavoring. By design. Yeah. But then in stuff like, I mean, even in Savage Worlds, like we take, um, you know, something like Savage Pathfinder, which has these, you know, it's being based on Pathfinder. So the class archetypes, like the, the way the classes, the way the kind of flavor of the magic of the classes, not necessarily that the specific powers, but, you know, a bard gets their magic from some type of art, usually singing, right? The, the wizard gets their magic from studying and from tomes and kind of dealing with the base kind of forms of magic so even with that in that you have a lot of wiggle room to play with that and then when we talk about like the big games like D&D and Pathfinder I mean those not just magic but also all the special abilities I mean they are already written in there's already so much flavor written in and I think it's it's really easy just to like okay well that's that's what this spell's supposed to kind of feel like so I'm just going to go with it um and you can be really, like, upset. Like, well, this is a thing in d and I think, James, that you can speak of. It's like, you know, there's a million fire magic, right? Fire magic, fireball, firebolt. It's it's all the good offensive spells are, are fire. And people often want to be like, well, I want to be a lightning mage. I want to be an ice mage. I want to be an acid mage. But I can't because there's no good spells that do that damage, right? And I think that, um, you know, I think we're going to talk about a lot of things where game masters can do, but even... Um, even like if you're just a player and your game master's not open to all that stuff, you can still stretch what, you know, the, the description, the flavor of spells, maybe not something like fireball because it just does damage, but other spells can still be kind of stretched to fit your theme. So I know that was a long winded response, but, um, yeah, yeah that, that's generally uh, when we're talking about reflavoring, this is what we're all talking about. Um, yeah. Okay. I, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's really about creating that that feel or that look or that sense of uh, a common theme by re re readjusting spells and whether that's damage type or the way it might look or the way it might um, uh, kind of appear within the world, um, you know, kind of creating creating things that do it. And I imagine, Carl, you probably do it far more than you probably realise, um, I imagine, particularly as a GM. Creating worlds, we do a lot of this where we you know, change monsters to fit a theme. We change spells to fit a theme. We kind of start to tweak things a little bit to kind of move it around to to double down on 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 the flavor or a feel of a cult or a group or things like that. So reflavoring lots of stuff. Yep, very good. Yeah, I, well, I, I'm a Savage Worlds primary, so it's sort of built into the DNA of the game. So I really don't think about it other than you just have to do it um, because. Uh, yeah, that is true. I mean, they're the sliding scales of games, aren't they? Dungeons and Dragons yeah. is very descriptive. You know, a certain spell could be described as, you know, intertwining green beams of energy, and and players can guess what that is because it's consistent within that game. But you can reflavor things. Other games, I played Die. I had my first experience playing Die the other day, um, where they every you just flavor everything. They say you roll one dice, you add one attribute but you come up with everything about it what it looks like and how it works um yeah so to be ultra descriptive so somewhere in that sliding scale um you have to you know work that muscle a little bit you have to kind of come up with that creative output 
So that's why I think, in, in generally in this discussion, I think the, the reflavoring is the what is the thing to kind of focus on the most, right? Because that's that's where I think people struggle with the most, definitely. So so why so that's what we mean by it, right? So but why do it? Why bother, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, D and D, there's books, and you can buy tons of books that have spells and flavor and. You know, you've got something that throws acid, and that's what it does. It's an acid bolt, and okay, so that's what the spell says. And you know, so why why do we do it? Why why do it? I, I think there's a variety of reasons. I mean, the first, and you bring it up most, uh, you brought it up most interesting is just character differentiation. Make something, make the character you're building uniquely your own. Um, with you know the way you manifest your abilities is is unique and different and gives you all those role play opportunities based on you know what i think i think you mentioned that right there's not a lot of there's a lot of fire magic not a lot of ice magic but so how do i make a character that's kind of interesting and differentiated based on that so that's the first one that that comes to my mind right away um james what do you think what are what are some of the other reasons you might want to do it yeah differentiating yourself is huge um and it leads to how you role play the character. Let's face it, we're, when you're visualizing or imagining a character, it comes with all these trappings and abilities. And this is kind of what I'd like my character to be doing. And this is especially true for beginner players who, you know, aren't constrained yet by what the mechanics of a game can do. They just want to say, oh, I want to be able to do this and this and this and this. And so it's about creating that differentiation. Um, and that will also lead to how the characters role played, how you kind of build them together and how they would socially interact. Um, a good example is, uh, and there are games that have done that have done this very differently. Um, I'm an old fan of the White Wolf series um, and Mage the Ascension was the one that really triggered this for me. Um, you had to, Mage the Ascension, the characters are effectively belief systems. You believe in something strongly and th something will change in the world. But all of the magic was all about personal flavor so that, you know, there weren't spells per se. There's lots of abilities, but you combine them together to create a character that has both a belief system and, an, and a kind of arsenal of magical abilities. And it changes the way that you role play as well. If you start to bind all these into a common theme, um, into a common kind of um, look to the character, a visual look to the character. I don't know if I'm making any sense at all. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Um, Eric, anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, yeah. I think d differentiating is huge, especially on the player side, right? Because we we play so many of these games, and when you're in so many games or you run so many games, a wizard is a wizard is a wizard, right? And it's 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 <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. I mean, and 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 we're not always just talking about just like the element. I mean, j just the the base mechanics of the way a class functions like that flavor can be changed but i think i mean at the top it's also just fun i think it's really fun to do this um it's also very surprising for other people and this is both player and game master side i mean i've i think carl for you there's so many times and i think james too right like when i bisbo i'd be like oh this is the power i say this i like write the name of my power and i have this flavor that's totally weird and you're like wait what power is this like you're like yeah, you right. have to i have to write the actual name of the power Otherwise, because you're like, what is the, this power actually? Um, so I think you can kind of, you know, especially for people who play so many games, it's just kind of a breath of fresh air of when you bring out a, a new ability and people are like, well, what is this? I don't know what this is. 
and and then you're like, oh, it's that. But it's like it just it's just a fun thing to like discover that this power is what they they've known it to be in the past. But it's just because it's a different take. It just kind of like I said, it's a refreshing take. Um, and we've t- we've talked about this before with monsters, right? Like reflavoring monsters is a really kind of cheap, quote unquote, cheap way for for game masters to mix it up with players, you know, because they're surprised. It's not just like, oh, it's a troll. I know what a troll does. You know, just just even reflavoring the troll to be something else and changing one or two things, like the players are it just that brings that mystery back to the game. So I think it's just that kind of like like you talked about it, James, where new players don't have all these expectations and all they're not used to all the things. Right. This can kind of bring romance back, you know, <laughs> to the to the bedroom, as it were, to, to the to the flavor bedroom. Um, uh, so yeah. And then I, I think another part here is that um it real it really does help make characters seem more grounded, seem more interesting um, into the world. When you start to, both in the way that you choose your abilities and the way that you change the flavor of your abilities, um, it, it definitely grounds your character more into the world, right? And it seems like they're, they're a more kind of genuine living part of the world because they are tied into whatever the flavor of the game is or, or kind of acting off the flavor of the game, right? When I played, like in James in your game, when I, I, I was a little bizbo, I was an artificer that was a little cobalt inventor, but like as my exposure to the Feywild um, was like going on and like I think I had some encounters with some things, like my, my normal kind of almost steampunky items took a more macabre turn. Like I yep. had a, I think it was, was it shrink? Grow. It was like a shrink grow power or whatever that's called, enlarge shrink. And it was this like, I, I flavored it as this kind of inverted bag of holding um, yeah. that like was possessed with a extra planar entity. And it was like, I would pull on its beard. It was this like kind of wrinkly face um, in this old bag of holding bag that no longer worked. And as I opened, it's like pulled on its beard, it screamed. And that's what caused like reality to distort. And that was only because I was reacting to the world and, my character getting exposed to these new ideas, right? And these kind of things. So I, I, I changed my flavor as we went on. So it's also a really good way to like show yourself and the world and the other party members that you're kind of, you are interacting more with the, with the world and your character's growing. Very cool. Absolutely. And, and it was cool to kind of watch Bisbo change a little bit as well. In that game, we used a lot of shadow magic as that game developed as well. From first from a tome of shadow that had a number of different shadow spells. Most of those were reflavored. Most of those spells were kind of here's a another another but I've just changed the the damage to necrotic and given it a, a bit of a different flavor. Um, but binding other different spells to kind of make that shadow and it was interesting to watch the players start to embrace some of that black and shadow magic, which then changed the whole feel of. The players, not just the world, but the players themselves starting to reflect the universe they were in. It was really cool. That, is, that sounds that sounds really that sounds really interesting. And I know, Eric, in our campaigns you do a lot of because it's Savage Worlds, obviously it's it's expected, but you really embrace that uh, approach to flavoring things in just unique ways. And so I I, I guess the question then becomes you know, with that experience, it's easier to do as you get experience. But how do you approach it? And, and and I think maybe it may sound intuitive, but I I have games that Eric, you're in, where folks are still just talking about. You know, in Savage Worlds, there's basic powers like bolt or blast, and they're just generic area of effect 
you know, and you trap them as a fireball or it could be a ball of lightning or it could be whatever you want. And it, it could be, uh, you know, a group of bees coming from your fingertips. That's even an example in the book. But a lot of the players still don't, they still just talk about, well, I'm going to use my blast power. They don't really flavor it. So I, I think, you know, how do you approach it to, to really attack it? And I know I've got a couple of items on the, on the um, outline, but let's just throw them out because they're, I, I don't like them. Let's just talk <laughs> and, <laughs> sure. and say, how, how do you do it? Come on. You know, you, you've got the, just this breadth of experience right here on doing that. So what, what's the approach? How do you, how do you take it on? Long-winded question. <laughs> so let me take it from a, a Games Master's perspective first, perhaps. Yeah. Um, I deal with a lot of brand-new players, and I think this is something that you should do as a building block, particularly for new players ever. Um, they don't know. So the Blast situation is the first perfect example of the opportunity to present this to them as a as a concept as the as the games master you know i blast well let's talk about that let's describe what the blast looks like um and in a lot of my beginner games they'll say i'll do firebolt well okay fire well how does that manifest from you you know what is it about you is there a, is it a magic word is it is it a, a fire from a gun is it is it a, a lucky card that you flick you know it's you can you can trap a lot of this stuff together but it, the, you just need to kind of be encouraging that right from the outset when when you start when players are first starting their journey just to kind of let them imagine because that's open to everyone for all the games i guess that's for storytellers but for but for getting stuck into it as a player eric yeah i mean i i think there's there's two there's not modes <laughs> is what i'm looking for there's two kind of areas here that 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 really much affect the how players do this and i think one is you know, whether the game master is how open they are to, you know, utilize, doing things to, to allow this to happen more than just, you know, saying me just reflavoring how things work, right? And I think, James, you just talked about how you kind of will allow them to, say, even change a damage type, right? Um, and so I think it's really important for game masters um, to, to maybe think about this and to you have to tell the players, hey, I'm open to this. Because a lot of players just won't even know um, that they're that they're even allowed to do this, right? Like there's just such a we're just so used to this is how things operate. So this is how the po the powers are supposed to be. Um, so it, a lot of it relies on the game master, and a lot of it relies on the game. Like we've talked a lot about about this. Like Savage Worlds, that's what it, the mechanics are built in. But when you have things like D and D, and especially Pathfinder, where Pathfinder has a million powers um, that are so descriptive, um, you, it, it's a much harder thing to do. So. How you start doing this as, as a player, I mean, first, for a lot of this comes from your, your, your character, your backstory, right? And, and the initial kind of character creation and, and the flavor you're giving it in the, in just in, uh, at the very start of the game. Um, if, you're a game if, if you're the kind of person as a player who is like really likes making interesting characters and likes making long backstories, right? It's a much easier thing to do if your game master is encouraging you to like, okay, well, let's talk about where your character's from. Like I think James, right? You get really, you'll get like uh, really communicative with players and be like, okay, you know, yeah, this is cool. And then you bounce stuff back, uh, back with them, right? You're like constantly bouncing ideas off with them and um, you kind of will run with these interesting ideas. So a lot of that, um, that helps a lot. But yeah, I mean, it's, I think the biggest struggle here that I've found, especially for games like D&D &D and Pathfinder and those type of games, is 
optimizing within your flavor. And I think that's what stops people the most. Because like I said, at the very start, if somebody wants to be a lightning sorcerer or lightning wizard in D&D, it's extremely difficult because there's just not that many good offensive spells if they want to be a blaster especially. But like you think of lightning, right? Yeah. So that's what people just automatically go to is damage. Um, they don't have like, a lightning ball. I mean, there's a lightning ball, right? But there's a lot of other spells beyond that. It's all fire, right? Or it's even ice. So that's what stops a lot of people from doing it. I think part of it's on the game master to be like, hey, you know, things can also, you can also have spells that are like, that are, have a theme of lightning that are not damaged. Like you can have a spell like, I don't know, I'm kind of blanking on D&D spells right now, but some type of shield spell, right? Some type of defensive sure. spell. And you're like, this is electromagnetic force that's actually causing this. Um, so, you know, if you're a player who doesn't have support from your game master and your game, it doesn't allow for this, then it is a big struggle. And I think you can still do it. And it's just mainly, it's a balancing act of, taking some good spells and kind of really stretching the flavor out for them, you know, like yep. this kind of works and then going with kind of more niche spells that are really adjustable or really fit the flavor. And that's the balancing act for players. So on the game master side, I think here, Carl, that we've talked about a lot is borrow from Savage Worlds. I think if you're a D&D game master, if you're a Pathfinder game master, if you're a whatever blank game master, using things that Savage Worlds has like synergy and, um, you know, and, and yeah, ma mainly synergy, but also like you said, James, like changing damage types, right? Changing little things about the powers to make them fit the theme. I think that will then, players will be like, oh, I can do this. I, I have the space to do this. And just going back to what synergy means. So synergy is a thing in uh, Savage Worlds where say if going back to that lightning example, if you have a lightning power and the enemy that you're targeting is in water, they'll have some type of bonus because, right, because light, water conducts electricity. So they, it, it's just easier for them to do. And I think some, like they have this somewhat in D&D &D where, and they have it in Pathfinder where if somebody's wearing metal armor, right, like Shocking Grasp, I believe, if they're wearing metal armor, uh, they get a bonus, right, James, if I remember correctly? Yeah. Yep. Um, and that's like synergy. And I think game, game masters should utilize that more, and that will allow players to do it. And, and, just, to um, make, yeah. and just to make sure um, to... This goes hand in hand. I, I think we kind of glossed a little bit for those who don't know Savage Worlds, but let's say there's a power, there's a power called Bolt, which is just your generic bolt of power, magic missile, yeah. so to speak. Magic missile. And you can of, and you yeah. can flavor it, right? So it could be a lightning bolt. It could be you know a flame coming from your finger. It could be so synergies are I've flavored this thing saying it's lightning, but that gives me a mechanical benefit. Or potentially a detriment, right? If you're, if you're, you know, if you've got it flavored the opposite way, um, yeah. So, but it gives me a mechanical benefit for something that I've defined as making a stylistic or a flavor trappings choice. That's the key thing to synergies. Um, so I, I just wanted to make sure that that was clear for those who aren't playing Savage Worlds who, sh I don't know why they're not yet, but they should be. Um, but if they haven't yet, so just explain it. But Well, I'm not. I'm still playing Dungeons & Dragons, so I'll put a D&D &D perspective on if I can. Excellent, put, excellent. Uh, Go for it. I, I, I just want to put a little bit of a, a warning out here as well. If we're just changing the look and feel of a spell so that it suits the character more and it's a descriptive change as opposed to a mechanical change, um, that's fine. Go crazy. You know, I love it. Um, uh, there is a little bit of a word of caution about, as storytellers and games masters, changing around with mechanics of spells. 
in any game system with a fear that it might actually overpower a spell or it might give it too much. For sure, yeah. Um, that And un, unexpected too much. Because often you won't know until these things hit the table. Some games are geared up. D&D is a good example where lots of creatures can resist fire. Lot, very few creatures can, can resist other damage types like shadow or force or psychic. So there are a lot of fire spells because lots of monsters can resist it. So we just need to be a little bit careful when we're tweaking spells that you're not kind of completely changing the, the, the success of each spell. And for that as a games master, I just do a trial period, you know, to say, look, let's see how this works. If we're finding this is a bit too unbalanced, we'll just have to have a chat and kind of rein it back in again. Yeah. And, and so don't feel like you, you're kind of handing the keys over and saying, have at the, you know, kind of come out, come up with the craziest spells that you possibly can. Um, and there are other reasons within certain game systems why some spells can't be used by certain types of characters and bits and pieces. So just be a little bit cautious on that. But once once you've kind of got a grasp of things, and and often this is a this is a takes is this is about experience as well. Once you've got a bit of a grasp of things, understanding which levers you can pull on a spell to tweak it, whether that's duration or a casting time or a range or adding a little bit of extra damage to something or changing the damage type, um, how it looks and how it presents is entirely different. But um, you know, uh, I, I go go for it. My, my only word of warning is make it ability to be changed if if something's not working as as intended. Yeah, for for sure. I think that's that's really good, really good advice, and 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 that's true. Like, and you should never go too crazy with change the actual changing the mechanics. And that's why I like synergy because it is, you know, it's just kind of a free thing, right? It's not something you yeah. actually have to change about the base power. Um, another thing from Savage Worlds that I really like when you're talking about flavoring is what they call limitations, where you 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 impose some type of limitation to make that power fit your theme better. And then it has a small bonus. In Savage Worlds, the bonus is usually it it's a power point system. It's a magic point magic power uh, magic point system. So it usually will cost one or two less. Or and if it's if it's really really cheap, it'll get like a plus one to your your activation roll. Um, now you can utilize this it, when you when going back to what James was talking about. If you are tweaking stuff, sometimes to make it you know to add a little bit of damage, you can then take away something else to make it fit that theme better. Sure. Right. Um, and that that also helps you balance. Um, but going back to, you know, you're a player in a game, uh, you know, and your game master's not allowing that, and the system itself is a very specific flavor, um, that is really the biggest trick. And, and I think people don't realize how much they can really change the flavor of a game. I mean, before we talked about, um, before we came on to recording this, I was talking about some examples, and one of them was, you know, Fairy Fire. Right, and in James's game, when I was the inventor, fairy fire. I was more interested in your flamenco dancing bard. Well, actually, that's, that's but... we could go to that too, but so, but like fairy fire, right? It, I, I don't know what the normal, the normal trappings in that James. It's like uh, some like fairy dust or something. Yeah, settles fairy and dust blinds, sparkles on things right? and or settles fire. on you and, and makes you glow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but then, but then, like we talk about, okay, if as my my um my inventor had it as uh, you know little bee drones that like exploded into glitter that just went everywhere and you couldn't get out i had an ice mage who um you know uh, just kind of like crystallized water exploded and kind of snowflakes came down and was reflecting light um if you were at a fire mage right it's just easy to do kind of pyroclastic explosion or like a sunbeam or you know there's just so many different ways and you can get really crazy with it but 
I think when we're talking about this, and that's good that you brought that up, James, is we're not just talking about magic powers. I think this even goes into the way classes present their special abilities. And one of the things yeah. I brought brought up was bards, right? We think of bards as always being the um, the musical caster. They always have to sing. But it's like, no, I mean, I've had bards that, that use instruments and sing. I've had bards that... Uh, <laughs> spacing out for a second. I've had bards that use the flamenco like this, dance. Uh, yeah, I've had a flamenco. <laughs> I had a flamenco dancing bard who um, he did use castanets, but mainly it was his dancing, his vigorous dancing, and different dancing mm-hmm. types that inspired people. And even uh, he had intimidation feats, and I would do it like you, I would, but, you know, sorry, vigorously. Your vigorous, your vigorous dancing inspired yeah. people and it frightened them and frightened monsters because <laughs> sure. they couldn't handle his 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 vigorous hit movements. Um, I had like. I have a let's, little dragon uh, let's, familiar. Let's just give that a month. We might need to revisit it. Um, oh, okay. Settle on that. If, yeah. If, if, if the vigorous hip movements are causing too much of a distraction. Sorry, I don't digress. <laughs> yeah, he could have been. Maybe he should be canceled. I don't know. Um, uh, you can have your, you know, you could have your magic go be like a Pink Floyd light show of illusions, you know, like mm. different illusions exploding. That could be a bard thing. I had another bard that used ancient tales in an old draconic language that just, you know, kind of, the kind of like words of power, right? That like altered the fabric of reality. And that's what kind of changed people's perspective on the on, on world. You can have it where like you, um, t- you whisper to ghosts. I mean, there's just so many ways to approach the way that we do this kind of performative art. It doesn't always have to be singing. And I think that's another kind of important take to um, what we're talking about here. Sorry, I'm going off a lot of tangents. Uh, no, great <laughs> examples of how, but, th- but that gives you an idea of the concept and then how you would yeah. then flavor spells to support exactly. all of that stuff as well. So yeah, um, no, that's a great example. No, and Sorry, I think Carl. no, and I was going to say I think more examples are 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 great when you, especially for the, kind of the D and D players out there. I I think the, um, you know we gave a couple of Savage Worlds examples when we were talking about synergies, but um, and then the Fairy Fire is a great example because I, I think sometimes people it takes a little bit to break your brain out of yeah. the fact that in D&D and Pathfinder, you do have these descriptions that tell you every nth degree of what this thing is doing and why it's doing it and how it manifests. And breaking your brain free of that um, is tough. So it's good that some of these examples, um, and I don't know if there's others you want to share, but I think it, it helps kind of, you know, you just got to free your brain, it, I, I guess is the biggest one. It's like, what it can be, you know, Eric, like even in um, like in the Savage Worlds and we talked about how Savage Worlds uh, likes this for it wasn't a fantasy game. It was more of a technology game and your oh, yeah. powers were manifested as um, a virtual playing field, um, you know, for illusions. Uh, so you had this virtual playing field that would come out of your arm or something. I don't even remember exactly how it was. Yeah, but, well, it was it was um, it was the illusionist arcane caster from art of the fantasy book and then i flavored it into b because we were te- it was like high it was like old technology that it was basically a um I, we talked about this i think in the last episode or um like a um a holodeck like a like kind of like a mini holodeck and it was for a D the the version of the D game i called mystics and marauders so it was like i could create like you know uh, holograms of npcs or holograms of um uh, making maps on the board. It, so that that was the whole flavor. And that was from a fantasy game to a science fiction game. So, yeah, I really stretched the flavor with that one. Yep, very cool. Um, it's interesting. There's a, um, one of the most famous campaigns in Dungeons & Dragons, which is Curse of Strahd, um, actually does this as part of the mechanics of the game. So, uh, you know, all spells have a decaying 
ability oh, to cool. them. It, it have, it's kind of got this wispy, undead vibe to it. So mage hands should be considered kind of ghostly apparitions or, or <laughs> skeletal hands. So, you know, this is great to start to think about in terms of settings as well. And some of the most famous um, of the D&D games do that. Um, Curse of Stride's a great example. Now, you know, so that no car, no spell can really be cast with good. So when they were creating food and drink, the food was a bit mouldy and a bit mildewy and the drink was a little bit rancid to the taste, that kind of vibe. So um, you can expand it out beyond just a character as well. That's a really good point, James. And I think that, like, because pe people love Curse of Strahd. And I hear about Curse of Strahd probably more than any, like as far as D&D goes, probably more than any other kind of AP. And I think that probably has a lot to do with it because of how strong the flavor is in that game. And like you yeah. said, it's not even like, I mean, there's some mechanical stuff in there, but a lot of it is just flavor. And that really sticks with people, you know, because it's not just your everyday normal fantasy adventure of like, okay, we've seen this spell a million times. We've seen this thing a million times. So yeah, that was a really good point to bring up. So, so we talked a little bit about kind of the effects on the game um, with synergies, with limitations, with, are there any, are there any other things that we should think about as we're flavoring, um, you know, items or abilities or magic, um, that they have an impact on the game? I, I know there's obviously the role-playing interactions between players, um, you know, something they've never seen before. I, I don't know. Does that impact things like counterspell or, or anything along those lines. Again, I'm not a D&D &D guy, so um, I just hear a lot about those kinds of things. But uh, do is there any other things that we should be considering as far as the effects on the game and the mechanics thereof? I've got about an hour in me to talk about counterspell if you want, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched so many YouTube videos on counterspell, it's not even yeah. funny. And One I of the best spells D &D. in the game. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. It's just, yeah, it's a tricky one to work through. Um, the uh, the role playing interactions are, are always a really big part of it, um, and how players and uh, and antagonists can the flavouring of magic is is perfect. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I, I ran Strixhaven last year, where each school had a very very different flavour of magic from spell choices to the way it looked and the way it was perceived. Um, so the role playing in, in inter party is also really really impressive. I last. Yeah, in my large D and D game, uh, we played a warlock that that cloud that changed the the feeling of, of the spookiness of spells, um, and role playing that effect on a very um, superstitious dwarf as I was was always lots of fun. So there's lots of role playing things that could be had here um, by just subtly changing it, subtly changing a flavor of a spell for sure. I think too, and this is something I just had the thought, and I, I've thought of this before, and I don't know if this is true. I haven't written a thesis, I've done a study on it. But at least in my experience, I have found, and maybe James, you can attest to this, Carl, you too, as game masters, when you do play a character that has a strong flavor and a different flavor, like you really invest yourself and you've changed things and you really are on theme, I feel like game masters will reward you more. <laughs> they will give you like, okay, you've really gone, you've doubled down on this ice theme, you know, you've taken your powers to fit this and the way it works, and so I'm going to give you this awesome ice staff. You know, I'm, I'm give really you this fire like, sword. I've thought about it. Like, you can inspire the game master, and they will reward you. And I, I've seen this again. I don't know if it's true, but maybe James, you can speak to that. Like, when you when you have a player who does that, doesn't that make you want to be like, oh, I want to create this cool item for them? To oh, like course. kind of that fits their theme, and it, it like it will you know 
Yeah, so I, f- I feel like that, like, as a player, why, one of the reasons you should do it is because you might get rewarded more from the G Game Master. So. <laughs> well, I, I, I well think... the story would hopefully hopefully work around it as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's... You, you uh, want to do it. You want to buy into the theme. Sorry, Carl. No, no, no. I, I think you were hitting it on the head, so I'm sorry I, I jumped in. But I, I think Game Masters are players too. And so anything that makes things more fun for them, they're going to reward. So if if being on theme and brand and just makes it so much more interesting, yeah, you're going to get rewarded just because it's fun for them as well to to add a little tweak here and there. And, you know, game masters are human too, right? So, you know, the, the squeaky wheel, but the interesting player gets to grease in a sense. So, um, yeah, for sure. Because it's sure. like it's like oh okay the, the the fighter who's just okay I'm just playing a vanilla fighter which is nothing wrong with it but okay we're just gonna give you the normal like plus one sword oh this person who's like has this backstory and they've changed all their abilities maybe they've even like hurt myself by not taking the most optimized things oh I'm really I'm gonna like create an item for them that really fits their theme and like is built into their story because it's just so integrated right and that that's that's what I was like mainly talking about it, and I do love when game masters reward suboptimal decisions if they are on theme and on brand and they add some yeah. interesting stuff. I, I like that. Because um, otherwise you are just optimizing play, which means picking spells that have the optimal trappings for the optimal use. And and then sometimes theme isn't optimal, right? Playing with uh, your theming and the way Many you do times. things. So, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're adding limitations. So hopefully Game Master, you recognize that and and you know, play to those strengths or play to those weaknesses without being too harsh because somebody was suboptimals in their decisions. And that goes beyond just flavoring. I mean, I make a lot of characters who, for the role play aspect, don't necessarily make the best decision or make decisions that are you know glass cannon because that's exactly what they're supposed to be or whatever you know. So, so I interrupted you, James. Sorry about that. No, no, I was done. Oh, awesome! You make some. Uh, you make some very get very good points. Occasionally, I do. I do pull that out. So. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, guess there's one thing that, uh, that one more thing. I guess in terms of how how you would flavor. Don't forget, as storytellers, as as games masters, we can do this too. This is some yeah. of the things that might make oh, yeah. a really amazing, memorable villain, um, because spells aren't quite working as perceived or they are fireball but it's with gas and acid um you know but that does damage as opposed to kind of you know so that we can do this as a as a as a storyteller as well and a lot of what i do is try and find spells that would be similar reskin them kind of work through them but i also introduce themes through the lower rungs of an organization as well like a, a cult's a great example i will have lower acolytes of a cult doing a certain type of theme of spell um, that is suboptimal, but often you'll tweak some numbers and then we will build on that theme as you go through a lair or through an organization so that you end up getting a kind of a nice theme of magic that runs through your entire your entire dungeon or your entire kind of um, organization, if that makes sense. So yeah. using that theming stuff, always really, really cool. And you reminded me now, James, of, of a trick I have kind of use and that I've told people before is either as a player or as a game master, in, even if you're playing in fantasy, you're playing in whatever, if you kind of treat your character like they're a superhero or a supervillain, if you're a game master, that does help you bring flavor to the character more and change those trappings. Because right when you're making a superheroes, those are all about flavor. 
know yeah. what I mean? There's not just like the, I mean, there kind of is the Superman, but there's, you know, w- when you're going with like element or whatever, there, there's so much. Spider-Man. There. So, Spider-Man's a perfect example. It's like, I, ex- I want everything to do with spiders. Exactly. Okay, like 100%. So if, if when you're making, even if you're making, you know, a sorcerer in D&D, if you kind of think of them as a superhero, um, and you okay, I pick a theme, and that's like their superhero theme. Then you then it does make it easier to kind of um, uh, inform your like uh, decisions and how you build them and the spells that you use. And with the game master, like you were talking about, like that's basically a supervillain, right? And that's their like underlings, and they all have their theme. And so yeah, like that's the same way to look at it as a game master is like I'm making a supervillain now with their uh, with their mooks and their underlings, right? <laughs> Maybe I'll, I'll just expose my bad 60s Batman kind of creation of organizations. Hey, that's the most I want fun. Everything I to do with penguins. Everything to do with penguins and nothing else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, well, you know, everybody's got to have their thing, right? You know, so um, we all have to have hobbies. So some are penguins, hey. some are, you know. <laughs> strong narrative choices, strong flavor choices, while sometimes can become you know, corny or cheesy at times, it's always going to be the most memorable things for both, for everybody, right? Those are, those are the ones that are going to stick out with people and larger than life characters are going to stick out. And that's not something you do with everybody, but I do think those, it's totally appropriate and, and will make it more fun. And th- those are what people remember. So, yeah. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. So I, I don't know, do you guys have any um, final thoughts or last bits of wisdom for those who are looking to flavor their characters or allow for flavoring just i would say just start um let's put a challenge out everyone (laughs) look at your character sheets and reflavor one of your spells you just start with something small and and give it a go you'll watch how it builds um how how once you start to get a good vision about what it want what what you want it to look like and for storytellers just let it happen just watch it happen and, and improve your game and, and I really want to state that it's this is not even really all about magic. I mean, I think magic is the easiest way to go because it just it's so it's it is so big and there's so many you know things they can do and all that stuff. But even the fighters out there, you know, even the monks out there, even the rangers out there, you can have you can really change the way. I mean, as long as there's like feats that you can take. The problem with like something like D and D is that their classes. They're not a magic caster. There's not a lot of character decisions. I mean, there's not a you know, player decisions to what the character does, right? You don't choose specific things that the fighter does unless you're like a battle master. Um, yep. But something like Pathfinder, you, you do choose all the feats. So, but even in D&D with the ranger or the fighter, you can still reflavor the way their techniques work, the way their kind of weapon is, the way they're, you know, what they're actually doing, how, how they're accomplishing X ability, right, can be reflavored. Um, it, it, what we're talking about and kind of had kind of the same effects. Well, and, and um, so right, that, that she, that sword and board fighter, right. That could, that could just, I don't know. It, it <laughs> they were like, I had a character who was a chef right before, and they could just be, have a kitchen knives and, you know, a, a giant, like a pot, a pot uh, top or something. Right. I mean, you can kind of change the way your equipment is even uh, things like that. So you can always have strong flavor choices, even if it's not magic. Well, and, and, in the old school, gaming um where you didn't have classes and subclasses what made a fighter difference was the flavoring oh this is a swashbuckler this is a this this is a that and it was all in the flavoring and not in the mechanics um though sometimes there were mechanical pieces of it because there just wasn't so many classes and subclasses and prestige classes and all this kind of stuff to to go along with it to 
that you needed to have to build a flavor. You just flavored. You just said, here's how this guy manifests himself. Um, so, yeah, very cool, very cool. And and it's important for flamenco bards to have maracas <laughs> that do significant damage when you hit people with them. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> well, I think on that... Um, all right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Hope you got something out of it. Remember to drop by MasteringTheRPG.com to learn all about all about us and our projects and contact, support. Um, we'd love to have your support. Uh, please email GameMaster at MasteringTheRPG.com if you have a question, need some advice. You need Hey, you need something adjudicated. You got a difference of opinion. We'll tell you what our opinion is. Um, so just write us in or tell us about uh, some of the flavoring techniques you use. That would be great as well. We'd love to hear it. Um, so once again, uh, if you like the show, give us a positive review wherever you get your fine podcasts. Pod, uh, uh, podcasts. Wherever you get your fine pie, I can't even say it. Anyway, wherever you get those. <laughs> your uh, fond pinecasts. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I think that's the I think that's a wrap. So once again, this is Carl with Eric and James. <laughs> Say goodbye, guys. It's Halloween. It's Halloween. Uh, goodbye, guys. Spooky.